Welcome to episode five of Smuggling Hope, Out of Babel. Frederick Wilhelm, who ruled Prussia in the early 18th century, was known to be a short-tempered man. He also detested all types of ceremony. He would walk the streets of Berlin unaccompanied, and if anybody happened to displease him, which was not an infrequent occurrence, he would not hesitate to use his walking stick on that hapless offender and give him a good whack. Now, not surprisingly, when people saw him at a distance, they would quietly leave the vicinity. But once Frederick came bounding down the street when a Berliner caught sight of him, but too late. So his attempt to withdraw into a doorway was foiled. You there, said Frederick, where are you going? The man began to shake. Into this house, your majesty. Is it your house? No, your majesty. A friend's house, then. No, your majesty. Then why are you entering it? The man now began to fear that he would be taken for a burglar, so he blurted out the truth. To avoid your majesty. Why would you wish to avoid me? Because I am afraid of your majesty. At this, Frederick Wilhelm became livid with rage, and seizing the poor man by the shoulders, he shook him violently, crying, How dare you fear me? I am your ruler. You are supposed to love me. Love me, wretch. Love me. And so we enter this conversation today about how do we have more intimacy and fewer misconnections. Because all too often what we get is we get the stick, or even worse, the fear of that stick, and not the love that we seek in our relationships with our family, our children, our friends, our spouse, the people we want to be close to, we feel very uh, sadly alone and disconnected. Now, why is it so hard for us to get our needs met and to be able to connect with one another? And the truth is that all of this really begins and ends with language in a huge part, right? Maybe a larger part than we ever would really take into account. And if you think about human beings for uh, at least what we have in terms of recorded history, the human person has taken on a relationship of uh, what we would call like a peasant relationship to language, meaning that we are uh, a people that do not believe that we have needs or we do not or cannot express our needs. And we are very poor at communicating our feelings. And it is those two things that I wish to talk about today because they become the sword and shield that we can build the deepest and most powerful communication, both with our family, our lover, our children, in our community, with people in leadership, with people in, in our friend groups. Um, and dispel the fear that keeps people from connecting. Remember, it's the humility that connects, and you know, humility is hard to cultivate sometimes, and the pride and the fear that the fear that divide us all from one another. So let me give you an example practically of how this works and how we get into trouble, right? So if I come home late from work and I've worked most of the day and I enter my home and I look at my wife and she is preparing a meal and my children are running around and playing or maybe they're doing what kids do in their own way. Maybe they've made a mess or maybe they're making a mess of things or arguing with one another or maybe they're completely, uh, you know, you know, docile for whatever reason. It's a rare occurrence. But if I come home and I ask my wife and I, I start to argue with her almost instantaneously by saying, well, how come we'd ever go out? How come there's all these kids around all the time and they're just so unruly? How come, you know, why is it that, like, you don't seem excited to see me? How come, like, you know, our relationship isn't the way I would like it to be? Blah, blah, blah. 
what my wife hears upon my arrival is, you know, that I'm dissatisfied with my life and she rightly so is going to want to pull away. She is going to be, uh, you know, feeling criticized. And, um, you know, but at the same time, I'm just shooting my mouth off, so to speak, not, but I feel, and this is very uh, important. I feel like what I'm saying is the truth. And in some ways it is the truth, but in another way, it's a truth that is not effectively communicated. Because the truth is, is if I was to come home in the same situation and use different language and say, you know, I am, uh, you know, very tired and hungry, and I um, really desire to spend some time alone with you without our children tonight, because I want to just feel close to you. Could we do that? Well, my wife would be having a way different response. But if you see that need, that need that I have to express to my wife, uh, it's not going to be heard. And actually that need between me and her is not going to be met at all. And the reason why that need isn't going to be met is because I lack the language oftentimes. And we all lack the language. So you know, as I talk to you today, I want you to start to uh, prime the mental pump that you have and think about the ways that you can, you know, generate the skills to have the types of language that provides you with the kind of relationship that enables compassionate giving. I'll say that again. We want the language, we want to master the language that allows us to have the types of relationships that allows for and enables and encourages compassionate giving. I want to be able to give of myself. I want my spouse to be able to give of herself. If this is a child, I want the child to know how to contribute in the family with me as the father or with the mother. At work, I want the people at work to know how to contribute in the workplace by expressing the reality, not the judgment. The judgment is what blinds us all from the needs of the people around us and even prevents us from being able to articulate our own needs. And that robs us of the joy of fulfillment at work and in marriage and with our parenting relationships. It almost makes us afraid of one another. Have you ever wondered what the leading cause of divorce is? It's not addiction, infidelity, lack of intimacy, or incompatibility. It's actually criticism. Criticism underlies all the behaviors that lead to divorce. Criticism kills connection between married couples. If you want to learn ways to stop criticizing and start connecting with your spouse, check out heartsrenewed.org for dynamic exercises and how to shape new conversations with your spouse that will give you the kind of marriage you signed up for, all from the comfort of your home. So the, the two dimensions of, of uh, communication that we're really studying is one, being able to communicate and articulate our feelings. And the second part is our legitimate needs. And these are the two most difficult things for human beings to talk about. Even people in fields like psychotherapy and counseling, we ourselves struggle with articulating these things and getting our needs met. So why are feelings important? Well, feelings are important. And for a long time, I, I almost downplayed them myself. But feelings have a goal. They have a goal, and oftentimes they, they befuddle us. You know, we, we feel many things, and like I gave you in that example of as I come home, instead of me being aware of how I feel, I cast judgment. Instead of saying that I'm hungry, which is a feeling, or that I'm tired, which is a feeling, I say that I'm irritated. 
or I say that, you know, that I'm frustrated with the state of the house or what my wife is doing. I don't, I don't connect to the reality interiorly of my feelings and those feelings. And sometimes we use the word emotion interchangeably, and I'm not going to play semantics in this, in this uh, show, but uh, the word emotion means called or driven to action or activity. So we have these inner states and oftentimes we don't know what to do with them. And so they actually screw things up, right? They screw us up. And so we want to feel the things that we feel and be able to name them without judgment. Now, when we can communicate our feelings effectively, they, they both allow us more agency, more ability to take action, constructive action, right? Think about it. If I come home and I say to my wife, I feel hungry and I feel tired, both she and I can understand that reality. Uh, we can exchange that conversation and she can direct me or at least know that I need to take a nap or rest or I need to eat. And I also have to be responsible to that, that uh, inner state and, and start to attend to myself. But if what's there instead is the judgment, well, then we get more afraid of one another. And it's very easy for us to just um, take things very personally when in reality, these things are serious and they need attention, right? I need to eat. I need to rest. I mean, I think a lot of our fights that we have as people and arguments that we have as people have, you know, in, in part, you know, to do with the fact that we're, we're not able to articulate or assess like the inner state that we have. And so I encourage you, I mean, when it comes down to it, is, is to really learn the language of feelings, not because uh, that I, I want you to make it all about feelings, but because I don't want those, those states to confuse you or those things to actually overwhelm you, right? Because a lot of people, if they don't know how to label what they feel, those, those states actually own them. It's, uh, it's almost as if they, they, they start to be consumed by what they feel. So as you can communicate your feelings, you will have more power to recognize where you're at. Also, it's going to allow the people around you to have a pulse on your inner state, and they're not going to be afraid of you. If I say that I'm irritated, that's very different than saying that, that you know, I'm fine, right? Yeah. And again, like being irritated at least starts to direct us to something. But if I just tell my wife I'm fine, or she says she's okay, in many ways, we know that there's an inner state, but there's no name to it. So now I start to get anxious, quietly anxious. So super important that we, we recognize our feeling state and be able to communicate it and to be confident in it, you know, because we, we don't want to be anxious about these things. These are normal human experiences. So the second thing that we really want to master in terms of our language is how do we communicate our legitimate needs? Now, again, Instead of communicating our needs, oftentimes what we end up doing is we communicate criticism. And that destroys our ability for intimacy and for our, our ability to even feel confident in our relationships, especially in our marriages and in our close friendships and uh, family network. So we really want to get at our legitimate needs. But here's the thing, like I said in the beginning of the presentation today, is like that we have this peasant response to language. We almost or peasant response to our needs. We feel like we don't and shouldn't have them. For uh, you know, people to say that they're needy is almost to express weakness in our society. And yet that is true. I have a desire for my children to be honest with me. 
I have a desire for my wife to be interested in me. I have a desire for my employer to allow me the opportunity to contribute. I have a desire to feel respected at school. These are true things. So as soon as we cut ourselves off from our legitimate needs, we start to be dishonest and we start to have more and more fear in our life and in our relationships. And so we want to move away from that. We want to move away from being afraid of what's alive in us. We need to connect to what's alive in us. We have to have language, though, that connects us to each other and gives us the ability to fulfill one another you know, in that exchange, in that compassionate giving. Now, one of the big reasons why arguments happen, right, which I think a lot of people are upset by or they don't like conflict, is that arguments are the, the, the beginnings of us getting back to expressing our legitimate needs. When we don't express our needs effectively for too long, you'll notice we have an argument. And the argument ends usually by some poorly expressed version of our legitimate need, but that need was never going to go away. And I think we, we need to be not afraid of conflict or afraid of arguments because, again, arguments give us the beginnings of conversation about our legitimate needs. And remember, for those of you who are afraid of conflict or believe that conflict ends with resolution, the goal of conflict is not resolution. There are inescapable problems in our lives because we have different personalities, backgrounds, and different limitations of capacity. So the object, uh, when you think about conflict, the goal of conflict is understanding, not resolution. I'll say that again. The goal of conflict is not resolution. It is understanding. Intimacy. Into me, you now see. Into me, you can see where it is that I need you, what I desire to experience at work in our parent-child relationship with your spouse, with your boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend, uh, business partner, employees, you know, intimacy. People understand what it is that we need and what we desire for them. Hi, it's Dan. I hope you're enjoying today's show. If you want to take your marriage to the next level, download a copy of my free ebook, Love Finds a Way. In it, you'll find six key principles to start strengthening your marriage. Just click the link in the episode description. Share it with others. Because Catholic marriages should be lighthouses in the dark times we live in. Now back to the show. So what really makes a lot of our communication flail and get all screwy is the fact that we express things through judgment-laden terms. So instead of using like clear, objective, real language, we are filling our, our life with judgment. So for instance, these are some of the, the, the I guess, the, the language flags, so to speak, to use a sport analogy, right? Like the, the penalties, right? One of the things that we do when we talk to people is we diagnose them. You know, you're a loudmouth. You're selfish. You're a know-it-all. That's a diagnostic. That's a diagnosis. That's a judgment. We also talk to people and try to communicate our needs, and we fail because we're trying to prescribe things. You need to be better with your money. You need to shut your mouth. You need to tell me the truth. These things are prescriptions, and people hear them, and they feel attacked, and they feel like someone's being uh, trying to manipulate them. And as soon as we feel people are trying to manipulate us, we shut down, and our defenses rise up. We don't listen to people anymore. You know, another way that we do things is that we compare. 
you know, oftentimes I think people need to go back and, and research, especially when they're doing feeling bad, research what, uh, you know, Amadeus Mozart accomplished by the time he was 12 years old. He had, you know, been having world-renowned fame and making lots of money and composing multiple world-famous symphonies, right? But people compare all the time. How come you're not like so-and-so? How come the kids don't act like this? How come I don't look like that? Uh, the comparison is, is, is a rough one. Also, we generalize things. You're never there for me. You never uh, support me. You're always so angry. You always shut me down. Those, those generalizations, again, they mute our possibility for connection because there's just so much judgment. There's no ability to connect. And even though these things feel so uh, real, um, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not heard effectively. So there are some ways to really craft better language for connection and being able to express our feelings and express our legitimate needs and get rid of all the fear that seems to kind of uh, keep us apart. So I'll give you a couple options. Option one, if you're a person who has a skill of or an interest in writing or journaling, if you've ever done that. And again, don't try to be a fanatic and force yourself to be that person. But if you do like that or you want to get better at speaking in general, Take up the task of daily uh, writing because that'll help to organize your thoughts better and make you more articulate when you have to speak. Now, in terms of learning the language, what I would encourage you to do is just to spend three minutes a day and really writing down like how you're feeling and to, to, to make sure you're aware of the language of feelings. Get a feelings wheel. You can just type into Google or type into your, you know, your word processor like Look up uh, feelings wheel and you'll see a giant wheel with language for different types of emotions and feelings. Get familiar with that. You, you, you probably don't need all of them, but it's certainly helpful to have the language because, again, when we have the ability to say how we feel, honestly, it gets rid of fear and helps people to approach us and it helps us to move to a place of greater responsibility for our interior needs. So writing down for three minutes a day, well, how am I feeling? And also kind of what is it that I need? from the people that I'm around. So if you are a college student and you're, you know, writing this in the morning or after your last class, you're writing down how you're feeling. And maybe you're feeling tired or maybe you're feeling lonely or maybe you're feeling hungry or excited. And what do you need from your roommate? What do you need from the people that are in your sorority? Um, if you're a married person or a person who lives in a family structure, you know, after work or after school or, you know, at whatever interval of the day, spend that three minutes and write down like, well, what do I feel right now at three o'clock or six o'clock before I go from my car and my driveway into my house where my family is? What am I feeling? That three minutes can make a huge difference because you're going to pause and you're going to be studying and reflecting on your inner state. And that way, like you'll be more effective in communicating. Uh, it'll slow you down. And so what are some things that I, I'm feeling and what is it that I desire and need from the people in my life? And writing that down. Now, after you've written it down, the, good, the, the, the powerful thing about writing this stuff down is you can actually visually see, or if you say it out loud, if you read it out loud, you'll hear the judgment. And remember, we want to remove judgment from our language so that we're more effective in speech. And also, we want to, it's going to give us more confidence. Remember, when I articulate my needs effectively, I literally feel confident. Why? Because this is the truth. I'm also educating people on how to best love me. 
And so it's my responsibility. It's almost like I should have a Santa Claus attitude towards my needs. Like, ho, 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 these are my needs. Now, the second option is a little bit different. And what I would want you to do is I want you, I challenge you to replace your uh, expectations of people in your life with appreciation and really start to verbally appreciate and communicate what you uh, appreciate in the people you live with, work with, you know, so that you draw to the surface the goodness in those around you and you relax your mind. Sometimes that's super helpful just so that we just learn how to be confident in communication in general. We sometimes get gun shy because we we feel like we're talking about our needs all the time, but in reality, we're just shooting holes in one another and turning people off. Or we get very anxiously attached and very kind of aggressive uh, with our uh, our, our people, or we just stonewall everybody and we don't connect at all. Um, and then we get very lonely and depressed. So replace your expectation with appreciation, but verbalize that, you know, spend a couple minutes every day communicating with your kids, your spouse, the people you work with, your boss, your parents, what you appreciate in them. So that again, those things that have your focus, you know, you know, uh, are, are the things that you want to see more of. So I hope you enjoyed what we've talked about today, and that brings our podcast to an end. So go out and smuggle some hope wherever you can. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Smuggling Hope. If you want to maximize the impact of the podcast you just listened to, try to find one thing that you thought was helpful and teach and share it with somebody in your life. When you teach and share what you've learned, it stays with you, and it helps to internalize what we've learned and get that seed to grow. I hope that the seeds of hope continue to grow in your life. So welcome back to the B-sides of the podcast, where I answer some of your questions for... uh, um, the next couple minutes. Now, the question on this end was, what is it that we're supposed to do to engage or deal with the people in our life, our family, our children, those that do not really, um, uh, they've left the faith, they've left the church, and how do we engage them? Like, what is it that we do with these people who have kind of uh, fallen off? And so I want you to think about it is that when people uh, do anything that is inconsistent with who they want to be as a person, Right? If I live in any form inconsistent with the man I want to be as a person, my confidence goes down. That is a psychological reality. Uh, that is not something that you have to read in the Bible. That is, as Jesus said, it is carved into the hearts of people. So when people start to leave the church, they leave for a specific reason. Right? Uh, you know, As Fulton Sheen said many years ago, Atheism is not a response to a problem of faith or truth. It is a problem of behavior. People are, in many ways, wanting to do a certain thing. I don't know what that is, but they're attached to something. And Jesus Christ, especially the Catholic Church, is a very high standard of living. It's very high high standard and very hard even for myself to live up to. That's why we have confession, right? We have confession because we need to know um, that we're not um, we're not there yet. We have to continue to convert ourselves. So when people leave the faith or they've walked away, they may have left for a variety of reasons. But the 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 the, the core answer is is that there's some level of sin. 
And people might hear that and be, oh, sin, he's talking about sin. Well, sin basically means that they're not living at some level with the person that they want to be. And they have somehow become fixated on pursuing something else that is compromising them. Remember, God doesn't God doesn't hate sin because he dislikes people or even that he dislikes freedom or he dislikes fun or anything like that. In fact, God is all about fun and all about freedom. But the problem is, is that sin shrinks us and it also makes us believe we're unlovable. So the more that I sin, the smaller my life gets, the less free I am to be honest, right? And then I can't, you know, my life starts to be small. So think about the person who struggles with a drug addiction. They are going to the same places all the time, can't talk about what they do, except for the very small amount of people, maybe their dealer and the people they use with. They're not able to go and be around their family unless their family uses, but they, their life becomes hidden and very small to the point where they're confined to a room or two or three places that they go. And so, so sin shrinks people's experience of life. It also removes their confidence. And so the more that we do that, the more we believe we're unlovable. And then when we are confronted with a, you know, an image of God that may be uh, you know, one of judgment or uh, you know, one of justice, we're afraid of that. So now, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, instead of reconciling ourselves with God or trying to move to relationship, we just abandon the whole thing. We just go off and we start running and we think that we can escape him, right? And so some people, we, we have to realize that when people leave, they're leaving for a reason. They're not leaving because the church is bad or because the church is wrong or whatever it is, but because in many ways they've lost sight of the person that they want to be and how that relates to what the church presents, right? So sometimes the church does a poor job of communicating uh, in a way where people understand the benefit of the faith and what Jesus really wants for people. Now, in pursuing people that have left the faith, it's just important that that we realize that where we go, we bring Christ with us, and that the people that are no longer in the pews or the people who no longer practice the dimensions of their faith of childhood or you know, there's you know tons of people. I, I live in Buffalo. In Buffalo, um, 80% of the people in the Protestant churches in, in this area in Western New York, 80% of people at the mega mega churches, the Protestant mega churches in Western New York and Buffalo where I live, they were once Catholic. That means that's there's a problem with that, right? There's something up with that, and that's for another podcast. But with people one one thing we want to do is we want to start to see what is good in them in part because you know we people have this amnesia right they keep forgetting who they are and so we want to make sure that we're interested in the people in our life that we are interested in them and that we we look for ways to enter the 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 hurt parts of people right because people feel very hurt and one of the things about Jesus Christ that is, I think, very powerful is that one of the things, well, everything's very powerful, but one of the things that he did to, in converting many of the people that he was around was he healed them. He healed them. That was one of the greatest marks of, of his, uh, you know, uh, ministry was he was moving into healing. But to, to, to heal people means that you have to know where they hurt. And to know where they hurt means you need to relax and let them talk to you. Let them talk to you. And you'll have to relax your judgment, you know, because remember, they, the more that they sin, the more they believe they're unlovable. And so one of the great uh, revelations of the last couple hundred years from the saints and, you know, uh, is this, this, this movement of divine mercy 
And many people find this to be challenging, which I find surprising, but not too surprising. People don't all get behind this idea of divine mercy. And, um, and, and one of the reasons is because people will say, well, you know, well, that just seems weird. Or they think that St. Faustina Kowalska, who was, uh, you know, uh, the, the saint that has the diary, um, you know, of, of the divine mercy in my soul, that there's something off with that. Whatever the reason is, a lot of people, like they, they look at an attribute of God, and primarily they look at power and his, his, his power and his, um, you know, his justice. And in many ways, they command it, right? Saying like, I'm right and you're wrong. I have the one true faith and you don't. And, you know, not to diminish the claim, but the thing is, is the more that I attribute myself to that power of God, the power of omnipotent judgment, well, now I'm afraid of God, even though I don't say it. Because he can point that finger not just at the person who goes to this church or is living this way or this person in sin, but he can point it at me. And so now I have a very hard time, um, you know, really in that dynamic, right? And we see this, you know, in a lot of ways in the Protestant denominations and the people who are very much, uh, anybody who's in the Pharisaical Christianity where they believe themselves to sit at the seat of judgment. Uh, remember, if you're sitting at the seat of judgment, uh, Jesus can, you know, also just point his finger at you. Um but that's not the nature of the relationship. So if you're going to pursue people, you know, you want to pursue them, you know, from a, a state of lightness and realize that their relationship is their relationship with Jesus Christ and that they have a woundedness, just like I do and just like you do. And one of the big things that we can do is we can really be curious about the people and curious about the good in their life. That helps to relax them. It helps us to maintain relationship because if we lose the relationship, People can't be curious about why we are people of hope and joy. Remember, if we are not hopeful and joyful people ourselves, and, and you are not attractive, well, then there's something wrong with the way you live your faith, because there's nothing as attractive as real holiness. If, if, if people are running from you to get away from you, to go to some other church or whatever, then there's a problem, right? Um, and because, you know, people should want to be part of, of your church. They should want to be part of your prayer circle. Um, they should be interested in why you have hope and joy. We need to move and motivate people through hope and joy, not fear and judgment and speculation, or again, this pharisaical movement um, that you know, somehow if we do everything right, we're the perfect people and people should listen to us. That's dangerous. Now, the other thing that's missing that I think people need to recognize, and this is one of the big pulls into the Protestant churches, is that the Catholic Church has really lost, in many ways, a sense of family and hospitality. Again, that's why we're looking for ways to make a difference in people's lives, because they live in time. They have work, or they're out of work, or their kids are sick, or they're divorced, or they're going through issues of, you name it. But are we hospitable? Do we see them as family? Are we engaging people or are we judging people? And that word hospitality is huge. Are we inviting people? So think about that as we, we, we kind of, you know, talk about, you know, engaging people as we should be more hospitable. We want to be making them feel comfortable and loved and relaxed, not, not hostile glances from across the table. So listen to people, be curious about them. Listen for where it is that they are hurting and look for a way to make a difference in the pain. Remember, Jesus always provides what is missing. And we as Christians, we have to build bridges. We have to find out what's missing and make a difference in the pain. 
And also the second thing is, is that we can offer and, you know, um, share our experience. Oftentimes, like people, you know, they can dispute our beliefs till the cows come home, but they can't argue with experience. Experience is not refutable. I live this. I experience this. So for you as a, as, a, as a person of faith that's trying to live your faith, please be sure that you're living in such a way where you're having the experience that gives you the confidence to be present to people so that people can tell you live differently. Because when they ask you, well, why are you different? You should be able to talk about an experience of your faith and relationship with Christ, not, you know, not something you read in a book. And then finally, like now we're talking about experience, is to invite people into experience. To invite people into experiences where they feel loved. But in order for them you know, to feel loved, we also need to know what it is that's prohibiting them from feeling loved. Again, we don't, we don't absolve people from sins unless you're a Catholic priest. That doesn't happen. But we do need to know that we are in a very wounded body of Christ with all of these people. And we have to listen and be curious about where the pain is, make a difference in that pain. But we need to be building lives where we can invite people into experiences of love because those new experiences will change the way people interact and what they believe and what they permit into their life and the grace that can permit uh, that can permeate their life. So I I hope today's uh, you know question and answer period was uh, was helpful for you. Keep sending me your questions or um, asking me new uh, you know uh, new new ideas that you want me to put out there for you. But uh, I hope you have a wonderful day.